Hello, it's Basha Cummings here. I'm an editor at Tortoise, which is the home of Sweet Bobby, Hoaxed and many more award-winning investigative podcasts. I'm here to tell you about Tortoise Investigates, where we curate the best of our chart-topping investigations in one place. Everything from extraordinary tales of deception to a suspicious killing to one mother's decades-long fight with the police. Just search for Tortoise Investigates wherever you get your podcasts. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Tortoise. I'm on the hunt for Tether's billions. Billions in physical, touchable cash. When crypto was invented, it was imagined that it would replace normal money. But Bitcoin is in a complicated entanglement with legal tender. You might have heard the story of the Bitcoin pizza. It has become crypto fable. On the 22nd of May, 2010, Florida man Laszlo Hanyech allegedly bought two Papa John's pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoins. On that day, that was 40 US dollars. On the day I'm recording this, those two pizzas would cost you nearly 170 million dollars. On the day you're hearing this, that figure will be different. There is a Twitter account dedicated to Laszlo's Pizza. It tweets once a day with the daily cost in dollars of the same order. Some days it's up, some days it's down. On one day, it was down 20 million US dollars from the day before. Laszlo's Pizza became immortal hovering there as a reminder of Bitcoin's reliance on familiar money to determine its value. Bitcoin is not free and separate. It is still tied to cash with an umbilical cord. Crypto is known for its volatility. It's difficult to predict how much things are going to actually cost, so you can't plan ahead. Tether promised a solution. As a stable coin allegedly pegged to the dollar, you know that if you buy a pizza at Papa John's in Tether today, the value won't fluctuate tomorrow. Tether has one foot in the old world of normal money and the other in crypto land. For every Tether in the world, Tether's owners say a real dollar exists or some other asset that is worth a dollar. But where? I'm hoping to find the foot the tether has planted in the old world of banking, where everything's written down and accounted for, to prove that they are backed, that they're stable. Part of tether's story is that for a little while, they didn't have a bank at all. That made them both unusual and vulnerable. That was as recently as 2017. If no mainstream bank would take their money, what about somewhere less orthodox? I'm Alex Krotoski, and this is episode three of Real Money from Tortoise.
Brock Pierce is the founding father of Tether. He and I are playing cat and mouse. But while this is happening, another strand of our San Juan investigation is getting underway, tracing the money. For many years, it was here in Puerto Rico where Tether kept its cash. So I'm following the footprints. One of the things I'm interested to hear about, like specifically San Juan, is, is it crypto dense? This is Luke Bedema, a reporter at Tortoise focusing on crypto. San Juan is the capital of crypto. It's where most of the major players base themselves. The sun, the sea, the favorable tax system. If there is a place where the digital and the physical come together, this is it. Just to kick a theory around, if Puerto Rico is the land of the crypto people who've made it, pretty big fish, whales in the ocean, it's got to be that lots of the big players are there. And their business now is mostly with how do I retain the benefits of my crypto holdings? Like how do I bank and get lawyers kind of in the right way? With every new idea, there is a moment when it has to work with what's come before. In my head, when I see them, I call these growing up moments. They're still about change, but change that's more sustainable than burning everything down and starting from scratch. The history of the internet is full of these moments, and crypto is no different. Crypto might want to be separate from everything, but their businesses still have to have lawyers, and they still have to have banks. I mean, that's why it's interesting to talk to some of the the lawyers and the bankers and stuff, because they say, I'm a crypto lawyer, I'm a crypto banker, I'm a crypto engineer. That's a whole new world, isn't it? Crypto is still dealing with growing pains. Its crazy volatility scares off a lot of old-worlders, not to mention its reputation for being a safe haven for criminal activity. Fraud, money laundering, illegal trade. Banks, traditional brick-and-mortar banks, do not want to take that risk. But some startups have found that they can succeed by acting like a bridge between the old and the new worlds. These are the crypto banks that Luke is talking about. They weigh up the unknown, the unpredictable, with the possibility of huge rewards. And Tether found one of these startups in Puerto Rico, a little bank which took a chance. Noble Bank. You don't need to look beyond Noble's name for clues about how it saw itself. It believed in Tether, and it believed that Tether's money existed. That is where I get my first clear sniff of the money an appointment to speak with someone at the bank. I'm speaking to Luke ahead of a meeting in San Juan with a man called Martin. Martin Perillo. Martin was with Noble Bank when it took on Tether as a client. In the story of Tether, there are certain characters that come up again and again. Brock Pierce, the Vagabond co-founder. Giancarlo Devasini, the plastic surgeon, chief financial officer. Jean-Louis Vandervelt, the ghost that few seem to have met, and Paolo Ardoino, the chatty chief technology officer. But no one's ever mentioned Martin Perillo. I haven't seen his name mentioned anywhere in reference to Tether. Martin met face-to-face with the Tether founding father, Brock Pierce. Martin Perillo's bank looked after Tether's dollars. Martin must know what happened. And... He must have known how much of Tether's dollar backing sat in Noble's bank vaults. 
So I guess that this is what we want to find out from him. When did he start? What was the trajectory of the company whilst it was working with Tether? The real golden nugget is, did he see anything when it comes to Tether's affairs? Who else was meeting with them? Who else was interested in their finances at the time? Because there's a reason they moved on from Noble Bank. He was definitely involved before the company was dissolved. Martin's actually one of the people who's pretty close to Tether's banking history. Tether used to bank with them until 2018. Their fortunes really turned after Tether stopped banking with them. My name is uh, Martin Pirillo. I'm a corporate banking attorney. The first thing you pick up about Martin Perillo is that he has opinions about how things should be. His office is immaculate. So is he. He's a proud Argentinian. He swims laps. He knows tasteful lunch spots, like Don Draper in Mad Men. He does not take kindly to people who don't look put together. He talks a lot about shirts and ties. He cares about appearances. But when it came to Tether, he was willing to look below the surface and take a risk. I, I think that there's some characters that probably landed from Burning Man and came here. And it's not that uh, we want people in suit and ties, but uh, we want people that can express themselves in, in an intelligent manner and, and that, that can send a message. Uh, you can be in a t-shirt for that. That doesn't matter, but don't be eccentric. You know, eccentricity scares people. And in an area that is so regulated as the financial business, we don't need eccentrics. We need intelligent people. Crypto is full of eccentrics, which makes sense if the ethos of crypto is decentralization. The center is where the old world lives. Crypto promises something away from that center. Martine is tempted by that new frontier. After all, financial services are about taking a calculated risk. And for him... His gut has calculated that crypto is a risk worth taking. I'm going to uh, go back to 2012 when the tax incentive program started. That's when, you know, a lot of people started coming to the island as an option. Uh, nothing related to cryptocurrency. A lot of people coming uh, to Puerto Rico, we're, I, I was starting to get into those circles. And those investors, they started to get interest in cryptocurrency. He goes to the meetups. He mingles, and slowly but surely, he develops a reputation for being a traditional finance guy who is crypto-curious. And then comes the day when he takes a meeting that will change everything. So my clients say, hey, I, uh, I want you to meet some guys that uh, I'm trying to uh, strike a deal on the crypto space. I'm trying to learn. Uh, that was uh, 2013, 2014. And when I met those guys were Brock Pierce and John Betts. Brock Pierce and Martine are not an obvious match, but Martine was drawn to the possibilities. I love taking my traditional knowledge into this uh, new world, and uh, it was like a little cult. As all of these faith-based leaps yes. into the future yes. are. Martine takes a huge leap of faith. He starts a new bank, a crypto bank, Half in the old world, half in the new. Enter Tether. It was a very risky prospect. It was big, so there was a lot of potential money to be made if they were your client. But it had a lot of baggage. I mean, a lot of baggage. Noble came along for Tether at a very convenient time, though. 
because yes. at that point they were unbanked. Before Noble, Tether had been cut off from two bank accounts in Taiwan and a corresponding U.S. bank. After these accounts were closed, Bloomberg reported that Tether floated the idea of chartering a private jet and flying pallet loads of cash out of the country. They did not do that in the end, but they were obviously desperate. And they had a lot of loose change. When Noble took Tether on as a client in September 2017, there were over 400 million Tethers in circulation. 400 million Tethers means that there should be 400 million U.S. dollars to back them up. That's a lot of pallets. Tether was a client without a bank, and Noble was a bank without many clients. They were made for each other. When when you start a startup, you need an anchor. You need an anchor investor, you need an anchor tenant, you need an anchor client. And we were looking for that anchor. The most difficult to find the first investor. When you find the first investor, everybody was going to come along. And we thought that Tether was that anchor. Initially, the project was called Tether Bank. And we thought, okay, that will give us uh, the opportunity to grow and the opportunity to bring other entities. They were one of the few um, cryptocurrencies at the time that couldn't find a bank. Yeah. But on the compliance world, it, you have to manage risk. And being risky doesn't mean it's bad. And we were set up to manage risk because we knew that we were in a, a risky business uh, and all our clients were going to be risky. So this was just one of them. San Juan has an iguana situation. Find a leafy space or go near the water and you will see flashes of bright green as they scuttle away. And they keep multiplying, laying up to 70 eggs twice a year. A similar thing was happening to tether tokens. In March 2017, there were 50 million tethers in the world. By November the following year, 1.7 billion. As the Tether tokens kept accumulating, the company did not publish their accounts. This is where the problem started. How do you as a bank know that the money is actually, that it actually exists? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and it's an easy answer, actually. Uh, well, first of all, you do due diligence uh, where the money comes from. Of course, if it comes from Citibank, it's easy or JP Morgan, etc. It gets complicated when it comes from other uh, smaller banks and you have to make sure that it's real. But, uh, you know, at least in the U.S., everything is centered in the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. So everything is there. How is there or how many intermediaries? Uh, uh, that's a question. For example, um, but if you use, I don't know, uh, another bank uh, in a small island in the Caribbean, <laughs> then uh, your risk is, is higher. Does the crypto business... Though, does it does it like to hang out with those other higher risky businesses? Well, I think I think they take what they can. That's that's their situation, and and I understand them. You know, they they cannot be so picky. Nor it seems could Noble, so they took them on, and for a while it worked, until it didn't. The rumors grew until the investigators came knocking. So Martine encouraged Tether to show their hand. So we felt comfortable that it was true, but uh, 
we were trying to tell them, hey, you know, why don't you come clean the, the right way? But <clears throat> why don't you be honest? Because you should have nothing to hide. And eventually we knew that it's going to affect us. He pauses here. But honestly, we, we didn't have any control uh, aside from conversation of, of trying to say, hey, please do something because you're going to get affected. We're going to get affected. And, and those were the type of conversation. When the subpoenas started to come, it, it was all downhill because we've been dropped by our correspondent banks. We were, and it wasn't Noel's fault. Actually, it was more on the tether side because they were being investigated. You know, uh, they started questioning us. You know, about Tether, not about Noel. Not, there's nothing about Noel. The, the rise and the demise of Noel was Tether. Well, it, it was, wasn't it? It yeah. really was. Noel. It was crazy. It was and, crazy. Then, and then when they left, I don't know the circumstances under which they left, but they left and then they went over to Dell Tech. Yes. And then not long after, Noble closed its doors. Noble Bank collapsed and it was a direct result of Tether being investigated. So Tether at that time was powerful enough to break a bank, a little one anyway. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, we know where the money was until it left Noble Bank in 2018, but where did it go after? I mean, on the most extreme side, you have people who are basically saying this is a giant fraud, it's a Ponzi scheme, there's probably no money at all. Then you have the crypto people who are like, why would you ever worry about Tether? So, where did the money go once Tether broke Noble Bank? Deltec. Deltec Bank and Trust. Deltec is based in the Bahamas. When I think of the Bahamas, I think of palm trees, white sand, an idyllic spot. 
Other people think of it as a discreet place to put their wealth tax-free. Yes, the Bahamas has quite the reputation for offshore banking. And nestled in Nassau on Paradise Island is the next destination of Tether's money. Deltec Bank and Trust. If you think the founders of Tether are the only surprising characters in this story, you have not met Jean Chalopin, Deltec chairman and chief executive. Before we start, Inspector Gadget, you guys remember that show? My guest today is the creator of Inspector Gadget. Not only is the CEO and chairman of Delta Group, but also probably a show that marked the childhood of many of us in the room and probably actually pioneered innovation and many innovations as well that we know. Is it more surprising to go from a starring role in The Mighty Ducks to dreaming up Tether or from dreaming up Inspector Gadget to becoming Tether's banker. It's a close call. But that was Jean Chalopin's career path. And of course, we were desperate to speak to him. My producer, Joanna, had a bunch of Zoom calls with Jean Chalopin's team to speak about the Tether cash. They told us that Jean Chalopin himself was happy to talk to us, and we twice had arrangements to meet him. But the green light suddenly turned red when Deltec's lawyers got involved. They stopped any interviews with Deltec literally moments before we bought the flight ticket. Jean Chalopin isn't like some of the Tether characters, though. He is not a ghost. Before his lawyers got twitchy, he was happy to go on stage at crypto events like this one called Crypto Bahamas, a cryptocurrency networking event in April 2022. So you can get an idea of him. Thank you. So I think for many people are not aware, they know you as a chairman of the bank, they know you as a CEO, but can you tell us more about your story, how you ended up from Inspector Gadget and now where you are at Deltec? Circumstances of life. <laughs> Why? I don't know. You know, I think creatively I always like storytelling, yeah. creating stories, and, uh, and we live in a world of storytelling anyway, so... It's no big difference, really, creating a script. You invent something, you imagine something, and now you build something, but it's about the same. But you know when you created Inspector Gadget, in many regards, you guys reimagined the future. I remember like, the first iWatch uh, yeah. was Inspector Gadget. You had a dog-to-human translator the, in the iPad. iPad. The iPad. Jean Chalopin doesn't pretend he knew anything, really, about banking before he bought into Deltec. What seems to have appealed to him was the chance to throw the cards up in the air. I want to be in the future. I want to be part of the future. And banking is very important. And maybe that's the most important part of what Deltec wants to do. Because when you're an innovator, by definition, you do something new. You create disruption. So if you create disruption, you somehow break or create an issue with what is established, the, the conservative established world, and it frightened the people. And it frightened people. Crypto knows that very well. When crypto came, it frightened the whole world with that. Is that so bad? We're all here, right? We all know. You know that very well. Actually, crypto is much easier to trace than anything else, right? So. As a bank, it's our duty to help innovators. Instead of spending 90% of their time in regulatory matters and governance, so we can help a lot. And I think that's the role of a bank. 
there's an interesting clue there. Old banks spend too much of their time dotting I's and crossing T's. But if Dell Tech was going to do less of that, how was it going to spot problems? And actually, FinCEN loves crypto because we can trace it. Uh, five years, ten years from now, uh, now, everything you have done wrong is still in the system. The, the cash I have in my pocket, you don't know who touched it. Uh, nobody wants to compromise and deal with bad guys. And we know that new system will always attract bad guys. That's happened everywhere, right? And, uh, and we have seen that everywhere. In the internet, porn came first, criminal usage came first. And then you have the majority of people use it for a good reason. Jean Chalapin's answer to how Deltec would spot criminals is partly that they won't be as much of a problem in the future as more and more people use cryptocurrencies. But if you look at the internet now, I'm not sure it's quite true to say that criminality is just a phase new technology goes through. And crypto is part of the future, and crypto is not going to disappear. You know, there may be some up and down, like the internet and the, you know, the dot-com bubble, and, uh, but the internet is still here. And by the way, it's behind crypto too. And then, uh, you know, another big topic that I know you care about is making finance fun. I feel we can perfectly be serious, compliant, regulated, very, very serious about money laundering issues and still fun. Sourcing, the, the, the source of fun, right? Uh, yeah. Money laundering is an issue and uh, nobody wants to facilitate the bad guy's money. Uh, and uh, we all agree on that. And we all want to make sure that whatever we do is clean. How did Tether's money end up in the bank of the creator of the Inspector Gadget cartoon? The story, as reported by Bloomberg, is that Giancarlo Devasini, Tether's plastic surgeon, cooked Jean Chalopin a risotto lunch. Over that risotto, like many a hearty meal before it, the two realized that they had a lot of things in common. Mr. Chalapin's mother grew up in the same Italian village as Giancarlo. They called each other Cugino, cousin. They bought houses next to each other in the Bahamas. Later on, bought the waterfront out front and split it between them. One thing led to another, and they started to do business together. And Deltec made a home for Tether's money. But how much money, exactly? What Tether's critics have been clamoring for is a full audited set of its accounts. That is what would get me the million-dollar reward as well, of course. It's the gold standard of financial reporting. But there is another way to reassure authorities or investors that your sums add up. It's called an attestation. An attestation is like writing your answer to a maths exam question without scribbling the workings out in the margin. It is a single sum a snapshot of an account on one given day. That is the difference between an audit and an attestation. A company's history is laid bare in an audit. No one looks at the history in an attestation. They just look at the latest information. And that is what Deltec did for Tether. The bank released one of these written statements with actual numbers on behalf of Tether, showing how many dollars it had in its safe on the day of the attestation. 
Dear Sirs, we hereby confirm that at the close of business on the 31st of October 2018, the portfolio cash value of your account with our bank was $1,831,322,828. That was the proof that the money was there on that day. The amount of tethers in circulation on that day was $1.7 billion. So Deltec had shown that it had more than enough cash to support those circulating tethers. The New York Attorney General found that one day after this statement, Tether made the first of five transfers, ultimately totaling $475 million, from its bank account at Deltec Bank to its sister company Bitfinex's account at Deltec Bank. And these were not the only transfers between the companies on that day. It looks like a merry-go-round with millions of dollars moving between Tether and Bitfinex. We reached out to Tether's press team for their response to this, and they replied, saying, The matter has been settled, and all of our public statements can be found on our website. They also said, With regards to our executives, their location, and whereabouts, we prioritize their safety and right to privacy over unnecessary media attention that detracts from the utility and value our company has provided this industry. We've been trying for months to get more detail from Deltec about their relationship with Tether, but we haven't got far. After the legal team shut down an interview, the company told us via email in September 2022 that they were committed to innovation, that they're proud of what they do, but that they can't disclose who their clients are now or used to be. They say that prudent and disciplined risk management are central to them, and they monitor clients rigorously with deep background checks. According to the latest attestation from September 2021, Deltec now hold around 25% of Tether's money. The rest is elsewhere. I checked in with Bennett to fill him in. What proportion of Tether's assets is Deltec still managing? And if it's not most of them, who's managing the rest and who's actually holding them? Who's the counterparties? Who's the custodians? Where are the assets? Because billions and billions of dollars are lots of dollars. Huge number of dollars. It's an enormous number of dollars. And we still don't know where they are. A financial organization of Tether's size would normally have been audited to prove that the company isn't taking risks with customers' money and that it's complying with the rules. But so far, not Tether. For a year ago, the narrative to have been this audit will be coming in months and not years and a year later to say there's no timeline and to not even be able to provide any information on what happened to the previous audit that was already started. And like the willingness to like deceive and hide and lie, all while claiming to have this industry-leading unrivaled transparency is, it's frustrating. In 2014, they said they were going to be regularly audited. In 2015, they announced they brought Factum on to update their audit strategy. In 2017, they brought on Topson. In 2017, they brought on Friedman. In 2018, Freesporken and Sullivan, and then uh, Deltec, and then uh, MHA, and then more, and then still no audit. These are all auditors who Tether has cut ties with, often right before the audit was due to be released. I think the 
tether spokesperson's response to why the relationship ended kind of tells you everything you need to know, right? The relationship was terminated because of the excruciatingly detailed procedures they wanted to do. Like, Tether didn't want to let them look at their books with that degree of detail. That's Tether's official stance on why the relationship ended. Like you, you don't even need to impute anything into that. They're just outright saying it. And so like when you look at it and you see that, I think my thought was, well, it's pretty clear that Tether doesn't want auditors to look at their books because Tether said they didn't want the auditors to look at their books. Still no audit, right? And so for years they've been saying that this audit and a year ago, even Stu went on CNBC and talked That's to Tether's lawyer. And said this audit will be coming in months and not years. And then a couple of weeks ago, Paolo goes on CNBC again for an update on that. And when uh, Dee asked him, is that audit still coming? He says, I can't give a timeline. And she says, months, years. And he goes, I can't say. We don't know when it'll be done. So I think that's another clear example of them overpromising and failing to deliver. Um, there's and other yet people are still examples. faithful. This is really important. People don't seem to care whether the people handling their money are taking risks. In the last few months, we've seen what happens when crypto companies take liberties with their clients' cash. FTX and Alameda, the big collapses in November 2022, which lost at least $8 billion of its customers' dollars, are being investigated for fraud for exactly this. But let's return to something that we mentioned over the last few episodes. Crypto is not just about making big bucks. For the people who are running this space, they believe they are taking over the world to create a new financial utopia, one where they call the shots without any interference by banks or governments. We've heard about this from Tether founder Brock Pierce and from its CEO, Jean-Louis Vandervelde. And this story about the utopia is so compelling that it's starting to get in the heads of very powerful people. People who are running countries that are looking for a way to be autonomous, separate from the U.S. dollar. Tether is being sold to these people as the solution. In the next episode... We're going to go to El Salvador, a country that's had Bitcoin as its national currency since September 2021, where Tether execs have sat in that country's parliament and have been instrumental in presidential policy. Next time, we see what happens when crypto stops being just an idea and becomes real money. This series was reported by me, Alex Kratoski. It was written by me and Joanna Humphreys. The producer is Joanna Humphreys. Additional reporting by Luke Bedema. Sound design is by Carla Patella. Original theme is by Tom Kinsella. Additional production by Rebecca Moore. With thanks to Bennett Tomlin and the team at Protoss, Nay Anderson, Ben Hammersley, and Carl Bergstrom. The executive producer is Carrie Thomas. Real Money is a Tortoise production. Tortoise members and Tortoise Plus subscribers on Apple Podcasts get exclusive and ad-free access to Real Money, as well as Tortoise's other investigative series. Simply subscribe to Tortoise Plus on Apple Podcasts 
or join Tortoise as a member, where you will also get invites to exclusive events in our newsroom. Go to tortoisemedia.com slash realmoney for a special offer to become a member today. Tortoise.